1: Good afternoon and welcome to another exciting adventure here on Log Talk Radio, Southern Fans. here on Log Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most distant radio chick, Any along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you today?
2: I am doing well. I'm looking forward to the weekend. I'll be cooking breakfast at the American Legion in the morning. I'm not looking forward to getting up that early, but hey, they love my blueberry pancakes. What can I say? <laughs>
1: Well, you got to come over here next time and make them for me.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: I want to welcome everyone that's that's listening in the studio as well as those who are showing up in our chat rooms. I want to say hi to everyone. Um, we are trying to get ourselves all organized, and as of course, you know, weird to me to screw everything up the wrong way. <laughs> so I'm trying to get up the. Um... Oh, good lord! If I can hit the right keys. Oh well. We're going to just try to do this later on then. All right. Just trying to put it up in gab in one way. And it looks like I'm not going to be able to do it until I take a break. Anyway, we've got great guests. We've got uh, Virginia Fuller, who's running for Congress as district five in Florida uh, for the first half. We'll be talking to her about her campaign and her positions. And then second half of the show, we're going to have Donald C. Brockett. He's in the An attorney with 53 years worth of practice, and he has uh, argued before the Supreme Court. He's got a great new book out uh, about the Supreme Court, and we're going to be talking to him about his book, and he's got a second one that will be coming out on the heels of it. So a lot to talk about, a lot to do, and let's rock and roll. Those that uh, listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero, and today's dedication is going to go out to Commander Paul R. Bauer of the Chicago Police Department, Illinois. His end of tour, his end of watch was Tuesday, February 13th of 2018. And this article is by Christy Gutowski and Vicki Ortiz Healy in the Chicago Tribune. On Sunday, Chicago Police Commander Paul Bauer and his family took their usual seats in the front pew at the West Loop Chapel where police officers gathered twice a month to pray for fallen comrades and to support the ones still protecting Chicago streets. The Bowers were such regulars at the casual family gatherings that Bowers' 13-year-old daughter, Grace, often delivered the scripture readings. But on that morning, Grace was recovering from a sore throat. Without hesitation, Bower took up the Bible to the lectern and began to read. When Paul got up instead of Grace, An old guy from the back yelled, sit down, we want grace, the Reverend Daniel Brandt, Brower's longtime friend and the director of Chicago Police Chaplains, who was leading the mass, recalled with a bittersweet chuckle. And Paul said, too bad, you're stuck with me. Two days later, Bower's name was added to the list of 580 Chicago Police officers who have died from injuries received while on duty the highest-ranking official killed on the job in decades. He was fatally shot that Tuesday after he thrust himself into the pursuit of a four-time felon carrying a gun outside the Thompson Center, authorities said. The police commander, who had long ago been promoted above the riskier responsibilities of a street cop, had no official obligation to enter the scuffle, authorities said, on Saturday less than a week after the police mass. Brandt will preside over Bauer's funeral mass at the Nativity of Our Lord Catholic Church in Bridgeport, where Bauer lived with his daughter and wife, Erin. After they grapple with his death, heartbroken family members and friends say Bauer, 53, died the same way he approached everything in life, jumping in to do whatever was needed. The young boy who spent mornings visiting with elderly neighbors in his Gage Park neighborhood was governed by the same sense of duty as the high-ranking police officer who had regular afternoon meetings to build bridges between neighborhoods and the devoted father who joked with teachers and lined up juice cups at the daddy-daughter dance in Grace's school gym. He did things right, and you just knew he would do things right, said Jane Shulett, one of Bower's three sisters. All his actions as a child and as an adult were always about serving others. Bauer was the youngest child of Paul Sr., a carpet installer and Nanette, who stayed home to care for the children and later worked in the fine china sections of several of the city's large department stores. The family ate a home-cooked dinner together at the table each night and walked together to church every Sunday said Sue March, Bauer's sister. Bowers' family joked that as a child he was the ambassador of the neighborhood, keeping senior citizens on the block company or helping them to shuffle driveways and mow lawns. He was a Cub Scout who played little league baseball and spent endless summer days playing sh- sheriff or with G.I. Joe action figures in the backyard. He attended the Saint Clair of Monte Falco. I'm sorry, Monte Falco Catholic Parish Grade School. After his first communion, instead of spending the money he received as gifts, he deposited it in the local bank, March said. It seems like always the sensible kid who knew the right things to do, she said. We thought he'd be a politician or a priest. Bauer's wife, Erin, whom he met in 1999 at a fundraiser for a police officer who was killed in the line of duty, described him as always in control. In an interview with the Tribune columnist and friend Heidi Stevens, I always trusted him to do the right thing, Errant told Stevens the day after her husband was killed. I was like a flag flying in the wind, and he was an anchor. Today's show is dedicated to Commander Paul R. Bauer. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, Firefighters or EMT and we also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of the nation through today and into its future we dedicate this song amazing grace in their honor. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, and officially up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say next. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. we got to just take one quick commercial break, and let's play this. The wrong thing is playing. And here we go. I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Order, Earthwater is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earthwater is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide. It has over 70 antioxidants and minerals. It's good. Trust me. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? Who doesn't? If so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Who doesn't want to make some easy money? You'll earn a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. How easier can that be? Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom! You just earned an easy 10% commission. Sign up now. Buy at least a case. And let me know what you think just by going to my webpage. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. They offer four tiers for affiliates, from one case to 16 cases. I bought four cases to start, and boy, am I hooked on the water. Simply go to my webpage. Click on the Earth Water link on the page and join Team Earth Water. Go to Southern Sense and become a member of my site, and you'll also be entered to win the latest book offer if you become a member of my site. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check it out. I know you'll be pleased. Curtis we've got a lot to going on today I see someone in the studio so I don't know if that's our guest or not Curtis um, but she should be with us very shortly correct
2: that's correct
1: and about another thing. okay all, <laughs> all right uh, okay um, there's a lot to talk about a lot that's going on uh, just before we came on air um, King Jong-un sent his number two man, his his second-in-command, to D.C., and he is currently sitting in the White House, in the Oval Office, with Donald Trump. This is an exciting, exciting day today, with the fact that North Korea is sitting down at the table with us and working out some sort of a deal. And I'm dying to find out what is being said in that Oval Office. This is exciting, Curtis. After 63 years... Uh, we may finally have a solution to the Korean War. That is monumental. The, The longest war that we have ever been in, 63 years, may finally be coming to a close. Let's welcome our guest in Valerie Fuller. Good afternoon, Valerie. It's exciting to speak with you.
3: Good afternoon. I am Virginia Fuller.
1: Yes, I know. Welcome aboard. And you're running for Congress out of Florida's District 5. Um, I do have a question. Are you a petition candidate? Because when I was checking out your website, I saw that you were asking people to sign the petition. You're not officially on the ballot?
3: I am now officially on the ballot, but um, not by petition. Um, It was a shocking surprise to me to uh, realize that You do not get credit for any petitions you collect. It is all or nothing in the state of Florida. So I had to cough up the $10,440 to get qualified. Wow. And that's what I did. Wow. Wow. And actually,
1: right now, you're the only Republican. She's the only Republican in the field, though.
3: Yeah. Um, we, yes, she told- I am the only Republican in the in the, in this race.
2: Wow. Well, she she had told me one Georgia. time, uh, Annie, that places like California um, they give you credit for the petitions that you do get signed, whereas in Florida, if you fail to meet, you know, the requirement for the petitions, you got to pay outright the the whole cost. And yes. I don't know, yeah. I think I like the idea where, you know, you get credit for the petitions that you gather. Yeah, I think I,
3: it's
1: I, I know here
2: uh, in South, well,
4: South Carolina,
1: ahead. you have to get into a race, but you have to meet a certain deadline. Um, after that, um, you're out. But I know that when we have certain elections here, we had some special elections. We had to get so many signatures. You had to get, I think, 10% of the voters, a certain number in that area uh to get yourself placed on the ballot, so it it's crazy you have it in one state, one way to do it, another state, another way to do it, but that's the purpose of state rights, so no two states are forced to to follow a single guideline
3: that's true, I got it. but I also think um there is a an issue of equality um and civil rights if if there is no federal um, federal demand and requirement that you have to have um, your your five thousand or six thousand whatever number the state demands then this should be it should be equal across the board because this way it really is unfair to the Small grassroots uh, candidate running, but obviously this is all intended to only keep the big wigs in in the race. Another thing that I thought was very unfair is the fact that now that I am the candidate uh, nominee, um, my name won't appear on the ballot because they argue that I already won. So why bother? I think it's very unfair, and I am relatively new to Florida politics, and therefore, it would be to my benefit to have my name on the ballot and get name exposure and recognition. So that's something that I think voters need to look into and see if that's really fair. This is also not the case in California. I have run four times before in very liberal district in California. Um, The ratio there is 70% Democrats to 30% uh, Republicans. So the chances of winning was a long shot. But at least um, you got your name on the ballot even when I was the only candidate running on the Republican ticket. Yeah, that is strange. That's but you're talking about a primary, right? I'm talking about the primary, yes. In the general, yeah. my name will appear on the ballot. But how many people yeah. uh, go to the state's website to find out who really has made it in the primary election? And all this time, if people know I'm running, they might be willing to contact my office and offer their help or make a financial contribution. If you don't mind, I like to my uh, website address and have people go to my website and check out my positions. I know you will ask me more about it, but my website address is com. There is also a phone number well, that they can reach me at. Well,
1: I, I'm happy to tell you that on my show... When I have a guest such as yourself, I put a link on my show page directly to your webpage so that as people are listening in to the podcast and we get thousands that listen in afterwards, they can, as they're listening, look at the description, see your name, click on it. It'll take them directly to your webpage. I also have it put up in the chat room because we have uh, people in the chat room. We got a lot of listeners in Florida, so hopefully it'll garner some more interest in your campaign here. But I know, Curtis, you you. have a list of questions you want to uh, ask, so I'll let you start off.
2: Okay. Can you tell us a little about yourself, Virginia, where you were born, why you are a Republican, and what motivated you to run for office?
3: Gladly. So um, I was born in Suriname. It's a former colony of the Netherlands. I uh, was born on the Dutch nationality. And after high school, I went to further my education in Holland. I got trained there as a register, registered nurse before I moved to the USA some 40 years ago. Um, I am—I was married for 25 years. I'm a divorced a mother of two well-adjusted model citizen children, And I'm proud to say as we speak today, my daughter is being promoted to captain in the U.S. Marines. All right. Thank you. I am very proud. And I also want to give a shout out to all the vets out there, uh, police and firefighters that are serving our community. I do appreciate what they're doing for the communities and for America at large. So, um, when I, did you have a question?
2: How did you begin No, I wanted
3: to
1: I thank, oh, yeah. let me just uh, thank Virginia for that shout out because I don't know if you're aware, but I'm half I live halfway between, but a couple of miles in either direction. One is the Marine Corps Air Station in Beaufort, and the other is Paris Island uh Marine Corps Recruit Depot. Uh so I drive past that, it's right across the street from my doctor. So I, I'm right smack in the heart of Marine Corps land. So thank you and God bless your daughter for the, for joining in and, and defending our country and our liberties.
3: Thank you. Um she is proud to do so. Um just a little side note, I know that was not uh, her original in- intent. She uh, she thought she was going to be very much in demand after she graduated from uh, UCLA in Los Angeles with her political science degree. found it hard to land a job because Obamanomics made it impossible for young graduates to land a job She went on to uh, Holland and studied um, international relations where she got her master's and came back speaking Dutch fluently. So um, right now, because she wants to be stationed in Japan, the government sent her to the uh, Language Institute in Monterey, California, where she is getting her master's in Japanese. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Going back to me, when I, um, when I arrived to the U.S., we, I landed in New York. We got married, and two years later, we moved west to escape the cold weather in New York. And we've been living in, in California all that time till three years ago when I decided I'm going to um, follow my friends who had been after me for quite some time. To uh, move to Florida. But in California, I was happy just raising my kids. And at one time, while I was at work, experiencing the difficulties of children we cared for, and I worked in the uh, rehab unit where we cared for children that had severe trauma due, uh, due to Motor vehicle accident or swimming accident, maybe a a broken neck of what some sort that left them paralyzed for life. And we couldn't discharge these children when it was time or at a point where we and the doctors couldn't do any more for the children. And at that point, the government will decide, hey, you're not an acute care hospital anymore. You're providing foster care. And then the funding uh, gets quite, quite diminished. So at that time, I decided, you know what, I can have this intermediate care facility and take care of these type of kids while I stay at home. Raising my two toddlers, and I'll be very much in control of my time and and raising my kids and be happy but um that's when i decide, that's when I experience what it is like to be a a female minority in what they want the world to believe liberal and tolerant California. I experienced discrimination, red tape, just plain boycotting of my, of my business. And I did that for more than 10 years uh, on a shoestring budget, not taking a salary. And at, at some point when my legislators, and I, I mean on every level, city level, county level, state level, federal level, even written to Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton when Hillary was pushing uh, the child care health bill. The only thing I got back, oh, Miss mm-hmm. Fuller, we appreciate you uh, fighting for uh, health care for the children, but that's all. I was falling, a, falling apart, just falling to pieces uh, emotionally emotionally. It was such a stress on the marriage. It was such a drain physically and certainly financially because now I had given up a very well-paying job with security of, of vacation time and medical benefit and earning 60000 a year. And here I was doing this for 10 years and not taking a salary because if I took a salary, I couldn't pay my staff. So that's when I decided this is not working out. I need to give up. And if my representatives are not representing the very same underdog, the this, the forgotten children, the poor, and the ill, then I need to do their job for them. And that's when I began. Uh, I became I became a citizen overnight. Before I had no interest. I thought I was I was being a good taxpayer by simply uh, paying my taxes in on time and not getting in trouble with the law. But with that experience, I realized you don't have a voice because you don't vote. And I became a citizen in 2000, 2000 and um, applied and, and ran unsuccessfully. Uh, but I gave him the run for his money and that was a uh, a uh, 26-year 26 26 year servant in, in government position against uh, George Miller. He was my congressman at the time. So that's how come I, could, I knew I could never be a Democrat because I've seen through their lives. I have experienced their farce, and I knew I could do better. And the money did not matter too much to me. I wanted to make a statement, and I wanted to win in order to make the changes that I thought as an as individual I could do in my own small way for my community, and I wasn't allowed to do so. On my website, when your listen, listeners go there, there is a documentary called While the Villagers Sleep that I produce and it tells the story of my experience as a minority small business owner. I really would love for your visitors to go and, and watch that. It's about 30 minutes long and you'll get a pretty good sense of my commitment once I have decided to do something. I am very committed to follow through.
1: Wow. Wow. That's an amazing, amazing story. And that, this is what America should be about, people like you, people that, that want to do things but are being hamstrung by government, by regulations, by politicians who are more self-serving than serving the public. know, you are quintessentially an uh, american you are everything America stands for and I wish you a lot of luck on your on your on your race. And I hope you beat the Democrats. <laughs> I truly do. But Curtis, you have some more questions Thanks. for
4: her.
2: Well, you know, Washington is a cesspool of corruption and backstabbing and self interest ploys. As a congresswoman, how would you stay clear of all these bad things, and not become corrupt yourself,
3: I believe that I am a strong Christian with values that I live by. i think i I set very high standard for myself. sometimes I am my own worst enemy because um, as you know, sometimes honesty. Doesn't bring you the, the desired result. But you know, you are what you are. Um, how will I prevent myself from getting to be corrupted? I would think because of who I am, my conscience is always in the way of going the wrong way. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm an angel. I make wrong decisions, and I make mistakes in the eyes of God. But if I can help it, I don't consciously, knowingly, that I, I'm defrauding the people to whom I'm, I'm, I promised give me your vote, send me to Washington, and I will correct what is wrong, then I can't turn around and, and just take money to better myself. I tell you without going in too much detail cuz I don't want to um I don't want to make this a pity party but I am a survivor I was an orphan at the age of 1 when I first lost my dad I was not quite 7 when I lost my mom and unfortunately The woman that raised me, my mother's mother, was a witch with a capital B. For some reason, she could not stand to see a smile on my face. Consequently, the treatment I experienced during my years was not pleasant. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Life was not a walk in the park. And one thing I remember, I was very emaciated. Um, she found all kinds of reasons why I was being shortchanged at mealtime. And we had a dog, and you know in the third world countries, dogs are not as important as people treat their dogs here. But the dog was also very initiated. And um, one morning I had for breakfast two small biscuits and a cup of tea. And that's all you get. I, I was getting for breakfast. And I saw the dog, and I felt so sorry for the dog. So I gave him one of my biscuits. Another cousin of mine, a younger cousin, saw that and she went and told that i threw my food away to the dog because the dog didn't eat it and for that reason she says well if that's how you're going to behave then you don't need you don't need breakfast from me either and i i think i was about 10 so from that day on i never got breakfast from her so i'm saying that wow. just to point wow. out that Money, thinking of me first, is not my priority. I, it never occurred to me when I was fighting for the right to run a business and fighting for my, the children that I cared for that I should give up because I'm losing money, that I could be happy going on vacation with my family, And instead, I fought till the the bitter end, thinking that eventually my legislators, my representative, would come to my aid because the civil rights war had already been fought and won. That never happened, and subsequently my marriage fell apart. Do I regret that I have done that, knowing me? I probably would make the same mistakes again because when I see injustices, I want to correct it. And certainly when it affects children, I knew what it was like when there were adults around me that were too afraid to speak up, didn't have a spine, because they didn't want to be the one that suffered the wrath of this witch. And I'm not afraid, Mm. whatever must be, will be. So I don't think that I will succumb to pressure to go along, to get along, or to keep my position. I am like most of the listeners now. I am just as frustrated when we swept in so many Tea Party candidates into office in 2010. Now you look around, you can count them on one hand, I don't want to be on the other side where I'm not accountable. When you're asking me uh, two years from now, what did you do? Did you keep your promise promises? I want to be counted. I want you to to um, confirm and attest to it. I did my best to keep the promises, and I fought for what was right for America and for
1: America's citizens. Well, you know, we have some questions coming up in the chat room, and you're also getting some kudos, believe it or not, from uh, some listeners down in Australia. <laughs> so, um, This is a question from our friend of ours, uh, Kel. She wanted to know what your position was on Black Lives Matter and the uh, racial tensions that we're seeing being thrust into the forefront.
3: I don't, I don't support uh, Black Lives Matter. I definitely don't agree with their tactics. I think they're anarchists, and that is not what America is all about. I, I do believe that the racial tensions uh, proliferated under Obama. Obama had a perfect opportunity to mend bridges, to heal wounds, and he did not take advantage of that. He made it worse. When when blacks would ask me, why are you a Republican? I have a perfect opportunity to educate them what I personally experienced at the hand of Democrats. And when I asked them, do you know who the, who the founders of Ku Klux Klan was? They don't know. People that were born here that are older than I am, they don't know the answer. You can't blame them too much because they've been brainwashed. They don't know any better, and the Republicans haven't done a good job to educate them over and over again that, no, um, the Democrats are rewriting history in, in the school books and in schools with all their programs but that's not the case, and you don't have to be dependent. Look, despite the fact that I'm an immigrant, um, when, <laughs> when we first started, we were getting around on a bicycle. And yet we managed to acquire a house. At one point, we owned three houses. One was, or two was, uh, eventually for the business. Um, I had... Besides the intermediate care for medically fragile children, also had an emergency shelter home for abused and neglected children in Oakland, California. And um, my children went to quality schools. My my son graduated from Columbia University with a B.S. in physics. He went on to uh, getting his master's in some very liberal Arts program. Don't ask me what went wrong there. I don't. On her third degree, she uh, is doing very well. I was uh, originally working at. So I was the main breadwinner. My husband was a full-time working part time, and now he enjoys the benefit of having a, a doctorate in pharmacy. So even though I went through all the obstacles, I still was able not to take any hand out from the government. And my children didn't have to go through the terrible public schools. We did what it took to send them to Christian private schools. And every American, including blacks, can do the same. If I can do it, when English is not my first language, and I had to struggle to speak as well as I do now, I know I'll never be a valedictorian, and I'll never win any contest when it comes to to public speaking. But that's not important to me. I know it's important to a politician because you have to be able to convince others. But I'm hoping that people won't just listen to the way I speak, but that they will look at my commitment and then my history, what I have done with my life, with, you know, what was dealt to me. And for that reason, I'm hoping that they will come to, to my support.
1: Well, you know, I, I, Was going over your website last night extensively because I do my research on everyone that uh, joins us here and I I love your platforms because you are for school choice. Um, There's several different systems out there. You mentioned specifically the voucher system but I also know that in these uh, charter schools uh, we have one here locally there that it doesn't cost the parent anything because it is tied through the school district but it what the parent does, they have to dedicate approximately 20 hours a month to the school volunteering, and then that Mm -hmm. takes the place of the tuition. Would you be willing to support something like that too? Yes.
3: Anything that would get the parents involved in their child's education is important. uh, uh, We all have to have skin in the game. Because uh, you
1: also address the breakup of the family, which is – we're seeing unbelievable violence coming out of these kids today, and families are not participating in the schools. They drop them off to soccer or whatever, and they let them bury their head in their smart devices. Parents are not taking the responsibility for the children, and thus we're seeing problems left and right with the breakup of families.
3: Yes, yes. And also the the whole system, the way it's set up, the fact that abortion is uh, encouraged, abortion on demand is encouraged. And if you're not having an abortion, that's fine too. You can have as many children as you want. We, the government, we are the taxpayers. We will provide for you and your children. We'll give you free housing, medical, cal um, whatever. Just make sure that the father of your children can't, can't live under the same roof. Those are the foundations that are being fostered to break up the family, and it's by design. So we have to be smart enough to realize every child is entitled to two parents in the household. So why am I being encouraged to either murder my child before it's born or deny the child the benefit of his father while growing up. We can't continue to take, 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 and not realize. And this thing about um, going to the streets and rioting when one black man gets murdered by a police officer, but nobody talks about 1,500 or so or more children a day being murdered, killed, only because it puts money in the pockets of abortionists and agencies like Planned Parenthood. And for blacks in particular, to worry about that one black person being killed in the street by a police officer and not being concerned that there is a genocide going on right before our eyes. Because if you imagine that the black population of childbearing age, that means women from say 16 through 30, 35 years old, we only make up 3% of the general population. Yet, in general, about 40% of all the abortions performed in the U.S. are from that 3%. You cannot keep up your pop your race and not eventually run into a dis, uh, distinct, distinguishing that that race. That is what should be of concern to to blacks and Black Matter, Black Lives Matter. And certainly the violence in Chicago and Detroit and other inner cities, that also is not helping. And that doesn't speak well to what blacks themselves do to each other.
5: Well,
1: I'll have you know that uh, the Supreme Court refused to overturn a challenge to, I believe it's the Arkansas um, uh, abortion ban. And it seems that because of that, approximately one-third of the Planned Parenthood clinics and other abortion clinics may be closing in Arkansas. So we're starting to take a foot forward. We've had uh, legislation here in South Carolina uh, called personhood. It didn't succeed, but we're still trying to push that through where the unborn child is considered a person. So therefore, abortion would be murder. There are efforts across the country, so let's let's hope we can make some headway because Planned Parenthood is being exposed for exactly what it is. It's a money-making yes. machine.
3: In California, I was also active in in protesting Planned Parenthood. There was a, a clinic I discovered. Um, they had been there for more than seventeen years, but I was not politically active. Once I discovered that they're right in the in the hood near a big mall, um, every Wednesday when they were doing their abortions for school children, I was there with my large picket sign. Uh, one might read Stop the Negro Project. One might read uh, quotes from um, Margaret Sanger that reads, um, Blacks are human, are human weak and need to be exterminated. Um, anyway, with all those signs around that, they changed their tactics because when the school buses, you know that in California they can round up children in in junior high and high school and take them to abortion, to have an abortion without the knowledge of the parents, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and so um, and then I would when the buses come up, I would go and snap pictures. Well, the bus driver be- began to feel very uncomfortable to that. The, um, the clinic would call the police, but the police couldn't do anything because I'm on the sidewalk. I had, I had the right to express my, my views. Uh, so they started hiring taxis to bring the kids in for abortion, <laughs> so it was harder to detect that uh, this was a school child being brought in by abortion. But just me being there, I had one faithful warrior that would also stand there with me. He was a white guy, and uh, sometimes blacks, especially uh, guys that look like they were living on the wild side, they would frown and want to start an argument and maybe uh, to jump him because— what you mean? You stop the Negro project. What you mean? And but it was for him. He loved it. It was his way of giving back. After he tells me himself, he used to be a a, a a big liberal. He was involved in the movement that had kidnapped uh, Patty Patty Hertz, or you know that oh. the daughter of that. Uh, yeah, that's how liberal he was. But now he is a a very staunch uh, conservative. And he used that opportunity. Go ahead. What was that, Curtis?
2: I said he called the light. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And he used that opportunity uh, to educate blacks who would think that you're calling me like a parasite. No, this is what Margaret Sanger said. Was the Negro Project? The Negro Project was intended to, when lynching was illegal, we could still exterminate the blacks through abortion. So, anyway, I know, um, Curtis. I know you have many more questions you want to ask me. So we'll get back on track. Just one more. Well,
1: I wanted to ask um, you. What, oh, I. Sorry Curtis, I was going to ask her, because she's talking about these, these rights I was going to ask her about the civil rights and when you get to Congress will you look to stop these FISA
3: uh, courts? Yes, definitely obviously you you cannot trust elected officials and, and career government workers so we have to have the stringent law in place to protect the rights of American citizens, they work for us. We are the ones that should decide what laws we want to live under. And if we have given them the right in the name of curtailing terrorists, but they're violating those those, uh, rights and turning the laws against us, then we have the right to take it away from them again. Yes. I will wholeheartedly if not sponsor uh, endorse such laws. Curtis, go ahead.
2: All right, as a congresswoman, you're going to um face issues such as sanctuary cities, medical marijuana, and illegal aliens. What what is your position on these issues?
3: Well, the easiest one I'll tackle first, which is illegal immigration. Every country has the right to make their own laws, and once the laws are in place, they need to be enforced. Illegal immigration hurts our country, but in particular it hurts minorities and poor people, and America comes first. Um, Sanctuary City is funny. When I was uh, in business running the care homes, um, I mean, they were dealing with me with such heavy hands. Every law was being enforced to its fullest extent. And yet here politicians are flaunting the laws. They are disobeying the laws and I think there should be repercussions to those who violate laws, such as a sanctuary cities. We need to have uh, punishment, you know, even jail time, for those that um, violate federal laws. As far as the medical marijuana, I do um, approve of for medicinal purposes, I'm not sure that i I want to go all out in fighting making marijuana use illegal, because I think there are more important things that take a priority, and I also do believe that if you can if you can educate parents, if you can make parents more accountable. If parents can take pride in, hey, I'm earning a living, I, I, I am providing for my children independently, I think they themselves will exercise more control over their children, and hopefully less and less children and adults will go the wrong way and get addicted to, uh, to substance abuse.
1: We do have a, a huge opioid crisis. Um, we have, we actually have a, a drug problem in the United States, and I, I blame it a lot of this squarely on the drug companies because ever since they've allowed these drug companies to advertise on TV and in periodicals and now on the internet, you know, people turn around walk into the doctor and say, hey, can I take this medicine? More of this medicine is being pushed than it was in the past, and I think it's. The idea of these ads out there is just suggesting to people that they may have problems that may not even exist. But the drug companies are looking for other ways to make money. If they stop these ads, I think uh, it would help reduce a lot of problems, I think.
3: Well, I agree, but even if they stop the ads, when people want to do evil, they'll find a way. Um, And remember, it's not only the prescribed uh, medications that are being uh, abused is also the illicit drugs, and that's why it's important that the border wall gets built because we cannot control all that is being um, smuggled into our countries. Not just illegal, it's also drugs, and then of course human trafficking is uh, is running rampant on the border.
1: Well, I'm going to wish you a lot of good luck on your campaign. And, Curtis, uh, we're going to invite her to come back on again, especially as we get closer to November. Have you come back on a couple more times and see if we can get more people aware of your your campaign, that uh, your voice needs to be heard in Florida, District 5. We need to put a Republican in that seat. And I hope that you are that Republican. I've got to tell you, a lot of people in the chat room just love you uh they absolutely think you're the most beautiful person so far that they've met on a show not not the only one but one of the best
3: thank you so uh
1: your web thank you your is your name uh virginia fuller or congress uh dot com people can check it out or check on the link here as the listening to the podcast and they don't have to live in florida to make a donation to your campaign because as you said you took this money out of your pocket to enter the race so, guys, if you're yeah. out there listening in, click on her link and make a donation. I mean, even five bucks. Look, Scott Brown got elected on $5 donations. Uh, Cruz got elected on $5 donations. So we can probably get you elected on $5 donations.
3: That would be That's so nice.
1: nice. And, uh, and just before you, you so go, you got like about two and a half minutes. minutes uh, if you want to just tell voters uh, why they should be voting for you and what is it you want to accomplish the most when you do get to Congress?
3: When I get to Congress, at least the first thing I would want to be is a support to our president. He's doing his best to turn the wrong back to the right and make America great again. I want to be that support. I know that there are many more Americans that feel the same way as our president, that we have lost so much ground to to corruption, and that America is not what it used to be. It's not what our found, founding fathers had in mind for us. So um, I want to go to Washington to not make Americans the space of the whole world. We work so hard so that corrupt politicians can dole out our money to other countries, to people here in in the country that come here illegally, to people that don't want to work but can work. And really, that's why I am for the fair tax. The fair tax allows more of our money and spend it the way we want. I also think if we can uh, change our tax structure to something like the fair tax and it becomes more of a consumption tax, there is not going to be as much money in the, in the candy jar for politicians to keep dipping in <laughs> and, and support their lobbyists. This way we take the power away from them because when you starve a politician financially, they have no power. They buy power with our hard-earned money. And that's why you want to vote for somebody who's going to fight to change the structure where you get to be more in control of your finances and your life and that of your children and family. So if you believe in what I stand for, please tell all your friends, ask them to make a donation and help in this campaign. Well, Virginia, thank you for joining us, and I wish you luck, and we will
1: have you back on the show in the near future. And uh, God bless you for having the courage to put yourself out there in the public in this race in District 5 in Florida.
3: Thank you, and thank you, Curtis, and how do to all the Americans and even those Australians and other foreigners that are (laughs) listening in. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, Virginia Fuller, check out our website virginiafullerforcongress.com. dot uh, com. Wish her luck on this. Uh, we're gonna bring our guest in in just a second as I get this message out there once again. And if I can hit the right buttons, Annie, and do this right. Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you found me, you know. I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earth Water is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide it has over 70 antioxidants and minerals it's good trust me i already sleep better i dropped one of my prescriptions and i'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon so ask yourself do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier well, who doesn't so if so check out the earth water link on my homepage at Southern Cents. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-cents.com. Who doesn't want to make some easy money? You'll earn a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. How easier can that be? Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom, you just earned an easy 10% commission. Sign up now. Buy at least a case. And let me know what you think just by going to my webpage. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. They offer four tiers for affiliates, from one case to 16 cases. I bought four cases to start, and boy, am I hooked on the water. Simply go to my webpage, Click on the Earth Water link on the page and join Team Earth Water. Go to Southern Sense and become a member of my site, and you'll also be entered to win the latest book offer if you become a member of my site. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check it out. I know you'll be pleased. All right, and we're back. And Curtis, we got our next guest up on the line here. Uh, he's written a fantastic book. matter of fact, my husband and I have been fighting over reading it. <laughs> so the name of the book is the Ty- I oh good Lord, can I not talk today? The tyrannical rule of the US Supreme Court, how the court has violated the Constitution. Let's welcome aboard expert in this field, Donald C. Brockett. Good afternoon, Donald. How are you today?
5: I'm great. How are you?
1: I am doing fine. You know, it's it's quite funny because today in today's newspaper, I clicked this article out. It's a little two-paragraph item from the Washington Post that the Supreme Court rejects the challenge to uh, the Arkansas abortion law. Uh, so the Supreme Court decided to uh, not reverse what the lower court said, so it looks like they're going to be a little bit more pro- pro- pro-life. pro God, Lord, I, my teeth are in backwards or something today. <laughs> so that, that came out, I guess, yesterday, huh?
5: Well, that's interesting because that's one of the bones of contention with the Supreme Court, of course, is that they get to choose what they hear and what they don't hear.
1: Now, this isn't exactly what the founders intended, is it?
5: No, I don't think so. I think, think um, you know, the structure of the Constitution was set up so that uh, first you had the Congress, the representatives of the people to carry out, the change in the idea that for once in history, the people would have a right to rule themselves. That was a brand new idea at the time, and it's amazing that they thought it up. But, of course, as you know, Ben Franklin, uh, with his famous quote as he left uh, the uh, halls where they had uh, drafted the Constitution, was approached by a woman allegedly who said, what have you just formed? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And we haven't done a very good job of keeping it.
1: No, we haven't. I want listeners to know a little bit about you. You were an active attorney for more than 52 years. Um, You've argued before the appellate courts in the state of Washington, the federal appellate courts, as well as the U.S. Supreme Court. And... um, I, I remember that the trial of Fred Coe and you were involved with that, and the story behind that is really interesting. I had forgotten about that.
5: Oh, you knew about that. So you <laughs> yeah. read the book, son? Uh, no, yeah, I did not was, read the uh, book. Oh, okay. Well, pick up the book, son, if you want to hear, uh, want to read it, and. Exactly what it was about, because there was a police reporter at the time who had access to the police reports, and that's how he put the book together. And then, of course, it was made into a uh, movie for television. Uh, It's a really interesting story. There was the son of the managing editor of our main newspaper here in Spokane, Washington, who was a serial rapist. He would uh, follow women as they got off the buses and rape them.
4: Uh, his mother
5: testified for him in the trial saying that she was with him on a number of the occasions and he was just looking for a rapist, which is the reason he was following buses around. But anyway, he was convicted, and uh, then after that, the mother decided she was unhappy with me and the judge who had tried the case so she tried to hire a hitman to kill the judge in his car with his family on his way to church and to make me into what was called an adultated vegetable who would have to live in diapers for the rest of my life. Well, luckily, the uh, woman that the mother approached to hire the hitman called her attorney and he called the police, and so they set up a sting operation. She was arrested and tried and convicted, but the judge, being uh, one of those uh, judges we too often have today, cited that trying to kill the judge and put the prosecutor in the diapers for the rest of his life should only deserve a sentence of 90 days in county jail with 60 days suspended, so 30 days, which had to be served as uh, time going to school during the day at a community college and sleeping overnight in the jail at night.
1: I remember that. I remember the diapers part because when I was reading your bio, I said, oh, this is the guy. <laughs> this is the oh, guy. Oh, God.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, what caused you to write this
5: book? Well, I guess... Um, Thinking about the law, which, of course, I love, uh, that's why I went into it and why I stayed in the prosecutor's office for 33 years as the elected prosecutor for 25 of those years, I became more and more concerned about what the U.S. Supreme Court is doing to us. Um, They do not have or should never have been given the power that everybody assumes that they have and they are ruling on cases that they were never given the authority to rule on by the founders and the writers of the Constitution. One of the things I find most surprising when I approach this with people is I'll ask them, do you think Supreme Court opinions are the law of the land? And everybody, of course, says, well, yes, of course. They're supposed to overrule the other two branches of government if they get out of line. And then I cite to them the portion of the Constitution that says what the law of the land is and it doesn't include opinions of the Supreme Court. My view, and I set that out in this book, is that the writers of the Constitution in setting up the checks and balances meant only that the judges under Article 3 of the United States Supreme Court were to render opinions. In other words, they would say, we do not think what the president is trying to do here or the Congress is trying to do here is appropriate under the constitutional principles as set out. But since we have no enforcement power, we hope the public will agree with our opinion and will exercise their ability to enforce that opinion through their elected representatives. Uh, It was never meant, I don't think, by the founders of the Constitution that the Supreme Court would be the ultimate authority on anything, because if they are, that destroys the very government they were trying to set up which was a representative government who do they represent we don't elect them we elect representatives that we send to Congress at the federal level and in fact one of our presidents Andrew Jackson famously in two different cases refused to enforce what the Supreme Court said and his quote which I love is Justice Marshall has written his opinion now let him enforce it because the other thing that I still don't understand why people maybe they didn't take civics or wasn't taught properly but they don't seem to understand is the court has no enforcement authority let's review that there are three the government the executive the legislative and the judicial. What is the enforcement authority of the federal government? It's the United States Marshals Office, right? The United States Marshals were the ones sent in in 1954 when the schools would not allow the black Americans to attend. So if the president who is over the United States Marshal's office, it's part of the executive branch of government, says do not go in and enforce that opinion, it doesn't get enforced. And it shouldn't get enforced. And if the people are upset by that, then they tell their elected representatives, you need to pass a law which tells the President of the United States he has to enforce it, or take the United States Marshal's office out from under the President and put it someplace else. But that's never happened.
1: No, it's amazing, because wasn't the judicial branch supposed to be the weakest of the three?
5: Well, that's what the founders said. In fact, they said if they ever get out of line, they should be impeached. That's what was suggested. And, of course, people today would say, well, they they would just rule that they couldn't be impeached under the Constitution. Well, how could they do that? They don't have the authority to do that. By the way, the other point I think that has to be made very strongly, uh, and this is another point that I think people miss, the Constitution is a contract. It was made by the people who were representatives of the individual states who were sent to Philadelphia to form this contract. In fact, it's, it has contractual provisions. It's set up with a structure: Article One, Article Two, Article Three, etc. The court, of course, is the least important of the three branches in Article Three. Article 5 provides for the amendment of the contract. Now, the point that I'd like to get across to people today, hopefully, is only the parties to a contract can amend it, which is why you have Article 5. The parties to the contract are the people. And under Article 5, the people propose amendments through the Congress or Congress as the representatives of people proposed the amendments in order to have them voted on, passed, and then placed uh, in the Constitution. The court was not a party to the contract. It wasn't in existence at the time it was formed. So how does it have the right to amend the contract? By the way, it interprets the language of the Constitution. So it's my proposition oh, that they have violated the contract in the way that they've interpreted the words and phrases of the Constitution, or created words and phrases. One of the best examples is the same-sex marriage case, which created. Oh, okay, starting on that one. Yeah, the right to dignity. Can you find that in the Constitution someplace? Of course you can. No, it doesn't exist. No.
1: no it's, it's funny because when the media reports on these cases the court is doing, they talk about you know the uh, the majority opinion, but they never talk about the dissenting opinion. You know, you may get one or two stations that may once in a while talk about that. But it's important to also know the dissenting uh, opinion and why it's a dissent. You know, words have meaning. They have a purpose. And I've said from day one that the Constitution is the foundation. You pull out the foundation, you change the wording, you destroy the building. And I think this is exactly what you were saying in your book also.
5: It's exactly what I was saying. Uh, First of all, people said, well, why, why would you depend on the sending opinions to write your book? And I'm not depending on it. I'm trying to show the public that other judges equally qualified because they're appointed to the Supreme Court, disagreed with the opinion and have good reasons for their disagreement. And the public should be reading it to understand it, and to see what they agree with so that they can use their representative power, if any of them want to get off their couches and do that, to indicate what they think should happen to this country. Because right now, we're being ruled by an oligarchy, the nine judges on the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia best described that in his dissent in the same-sex marriage case by saying we are now today ruled by nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. People don't understand the significance of his wording, and I, I laughed when you said words matter because that was his first proposal. His words matter. Look at the Constitution and look at the words. The reason that's important is when he referred to the nine judges as lawyers, That was like dissing them and saying they are no more than simple lawyers who have put on black robes and they really aren't entitled to be granted the same authority that the rest of you are granting them. Unfortunately, he passed away before he could try convincing the people even more. The other thing I think that's interesting that I would comment on is uh, other people who have read the book, and I hope you didn't do this, and I don't think you did, have said, you know what? Your book is too confusing. It's too in-depth, and it's too hard to read. It's like a law book. And my answer to that, which I guess I shouldn't maybe uh, voice so broadly, but I want to have people think about this, is, gee, in 1776, the people were smart enough to be able to understand this language when the Constitution was being proposed and when the Federalist Papers were being written to convince them to adopt it. What's happened to us? Have we been dumbed down to such an extent that we can't understand language anymore?
1: Have you listened to my show before? And the answer is Exactly of course, the same words yes. I've used.
4: <laughs> yes. yes. The
5: answer is yes. We're not being taught properly. We don't question things today. You commented on, you know, the media when they comment on an opinion that's been issued. The media doesn't understand these things. They just want a 30-second soundbite. Exactly. Duh. The 30 seconds of fake <laughs>
1: Go ahead, Curtis. I was told host Curtis. Uh,
5: you'll, you'll get, yeah, you'll get a kick out of this. I was told once as a prosecutor when I said, uh, Why is it when I issue a press release, you guys cut it down and say to the public what it is I said <laughs> instead of reading what it is I said? Because what I said was important, and that's why I wrote it down. And the answer was, even the second coming of Christ wouldn't be entitled to more than three minutes. And I said, yes, that's true. And in the vernacular of your industry, and then instead of having Christ quoted, you'd do a talkover.
1: Well, it's funny because uh, they give you only three minutes for Christ, but he's giving you an eternity. And you, by your actions, decide what the outcome of that eternity is going to be. (laughs) But, Curtis, I know you have a question. Jump in, Curtis.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I just want to know what is your take on Justice um, Roberts' decision on Obamacare? decision shocked a lot of people, especially on the right.
5: You know, that's a really interesting uh, opinion that he wrote, um, finding that there was another way to uh, uphold it. And that's one of the complaints that I've always had about the Supreme Court in the first place. There are only two sides being presented, right? Which is the difference between legislative action. In the legislature, anybody who wants to can appear before the committees that hear it can exercise their right as lobbyists by calling or writing to their representatives. And so before something is passed, there are many different sides that are considered. I've been in the U.S. Supreme Court. I've been in front of appellate courts. There are only two sides that are presented. And those two sides are being presented from the standpoint of advocates for that particular side. It's only when other people or other organizations are allowed to appear before the court, as what they call an amicus curiae, a friend of the court, that other sides are presented to the court. But for the court to not decide a case on the basis on which it's presented to it and instead as Roberts did say well we don't have to decide any of those issues because the Congress always had the right to pass taxes and this is simply a tax so we can uphold it on that basis and I think that's an avoidance of responsibility basically.
1: Well, I, I, it's funny because I read both bills, the house bill and the Senate bill before they were married. I, I, I actually sat down and read every single page and in the bill itself, it says this tax is not a tax. That was the wording they used. So I could not understand how Roberts would come up saying, well, if they're saying this tax is not a tax, then how is the Supreme court interpreting that sentence? Well,
5: because Robert's, uh, and that's my point in the book and what we're talking about today, uh, because he has nobody that he's responsible to, doesn't have to worry about losing his job, uh, can Mm -hmm. tell people, well, I'm a judge and I know much better than you do because I wear this black robe and I sit above you a distance to show that you're lesser than me. I can decide that they didn't really mean that when they said that. And that's the preposterousness of us accepting the court's opinions as anything other than opinions. And we shouldn't be.
1: Now, on the same-sex ruling, you know, my listeners know I've, I've said this over and over and over again. Number one, it should never have gone to them. Because we're talking about marriage. Marriage is a religious right, even though states will say on their documents marriage. It's called, by law, and you know this, a civil union. You have to go to a, some sort of a government office, and you take out a license, which is a civil union license, and then it's considered, you know, you're a domestic couple, recognized as spouses. But once you take that next step and you want a marriage, you go to a religious institution. And it's up to the religious institution to perform that religious ritual. So I said as soon as the Supreme Court made that ruling, they defined marriage. Thus, government has established a religion.
5: You know, the, uh, the same-sex marriage and the issues surrounding it, I think, are so interesting because people, for example, uh, you've heard of the Law of Unintended Consequences. And, of course, there are all kinds of unintended consequences that result from things. Uh, My question, which I've raised several times, and people look at me as if I'm uh, uh, smoking something, let's say, uh, if the court says there is now a right to dignity, which is embodied in the Constitution, even though it isn't mentioned, so that same sexes have the right to the dignity to enter into a marriage, quote-unquote, does that mean when you get a divorce, which is what you're required to do if you enter into a marriage, that you're less dignified? Because words Mm -hmm. matter. And if we're going to use a word, then we have to use its natural extension which would mean that when you get the divorce, I guess you're less dignified, Well, that's preposterous. As you said, the issue shouldn't have been in front of the court in the first place. The court should have said we have no business even issuing an opinion with regard to this. States are able to do whatever they want to do depending upon what their representatives decide to do. That's in the Constitution exactly. also. And exactly. we don't have a right to interfere in that. And as you say, if it interferes in terms of being the establishment of a religion or could be construed to be the establishment of a religion, that's in violation of the Constitution also. What I think is uh, the next point that's very Important to make is the thing that I've hit upon now that I call context. That we've got to start understanding the words in the context in which they were used. And the best example I can think of is the provisions in the 14th Amendment, which, as you know, have caused all kinds of problems. Um, Many in the Constitutional Convention thought it would be dangerous to have a Bill of Rights. And a 14th Amendment because of what might result from it. And gee, look what's resulted from it. I think what people need to understand is the history and the context. The 14th Amendment, for example, came into effect as a result of a Civil Rights Act, right? The Civil Rights Act of 1866, which was passed after the Emancipation Proclamation was passed by Congress specifically because the black American soldiers who were returning to the states were having their weapons taken away from them by the states. And Congress said, that's ridiculous. They fought for the Union. Uh, The Union won. They should be able to have the same rights and privileges as white citizens now that they've been freed. So the phrases, due process, equal protection, and privileges and immunities, which are found in that uh, context, were for the specific purpose of granting to them the same rights as white citizens had. Okay. Congress then, realizing that they come and go because they can be unelected and somebody else and be elected to Congress, and the future Congresses might change that act, Propose that it be in the 14th Amendment. It is ridiculous for the United States Supreme Court to take a phrase like equal protection and apply it to same-sex couples who want the, quote, right to dignity, end quote and therefore are supposed to be entitled to enter into a marriage. The purpose for which that 14th Amendment was proposed has been established. It's over and done with. It was finished back in 1866 to 1870. It cannot be used any longer to allow anything that the U.S. Supreme Court wants to do depending upon the changes in the court members. And by the way, I'm surprised that uh, you should have been in Congress instead of uh, Nancy Pelosi because her famous statement was, well, we had to pass it before we read it. I, I was astounded by that. As a lawyer and as a prosecutor, I thought, you got to be kidding me. So you take the words of the lobbyist as to what it says when somebody else obviously wrote it, and go ahead and pass it, and then you're going to read it, and boy, then the law of unintended consequences really takes a thing.
1: <laughs> Oh man, your book is excellent, and so the listeners know what we're talking about. The book is called the Tyra- I cannot talk today, the tyrannical rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, how the court has violated the Constitution. and Our guest is Donald C. Brockett. Don, I got to let you know that you know the show description. There is a link to your website, which happens to be criticalbookspublications.com. And as people listen to the podcast or view it up on Facebook and uh, YouTube, uh, they can click on the link and go to your website and read more about the book. Because you've got some fantastic stuff up there. Uh, You have even a little fact sheet as well as a Facebook page. Oh, got to tell people about the Facebook page so they know that is also out there. Supreme Court Tyranny Group. Uh, which I found fascinating. And I became a member of it, just to let you know. Uh, where well, you, no, you talk you. about the violations that the Supreme Court has time and time and time again violated their mandate and have made legislation when they have no authority to do it. And as you said, it's an
5: opinion.
1: It is not a law.
5: Well, it's an opinion, And, again, uh, here's the thing that I think um, floors me, so to speak, when I talk to people about this. They will agree that they understand the imbalances and that the structure of the federal government was meant to have the three branches check and balance each other. So then when I say, okay, tell me how the court is checked and balanced, and they can't answer it. And of course they can't, because if they accept the fact that the Supreme Court is the ultimate authority on anything with regard to the Constitution or any of the laws presented to them, then where is a check and balance? If you then say, well, how about if I suggest to you that the founders suggested that they could be impeached, and many will say, well, I know, but you can't be Impeach for anything except high crimes and misdemeanors. No, that's not correct. Impeachment is up to what branch of government? Oh, it's Congress, isn't it? And where does it start? I suppose it starts in the House of Representatives and then it's tried in the Senate. <laughs> Did you learn that in your history lessons and your civics lessons? Well, I'd forgotten about that a little bit. Okay. Does it make sense that the Congress, who can file the articles of impeachment, can say you are subject to impeachment because you are not in good behavior? And then, of course, they look at you and their eyes roll around in their head. But what I find fascinating is people all the time say, well, you know, they're appointed for life. No, they're not. They're appointed as long as they're on good behavior. What does that mean? It means whatever our representatives say it means if you're going to have a check and balance. So my view is the Congress of the United States to the House of Representatives would be the ones who determine what is impeachable with reference to the United States Supreme Court or there would never be any check and balance. And by accepting the way it is today, we are accepting being ruled by the kings and queens on the Supreme Court. No other way to look at it.
1: Well, I've got a question. Has there ever been a Supreme Court justice ever been impeached?
5: Not that I know
1: I did a Google search lesson, and I couldn't find any. Uh, we got a caller in on the line. Let me bring this individual up. Uh, Area code 937. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick with my co-host, Curtis. Our guest is Don Brockett. To whom am I speaking?
0: Hey, my name is Tim. I'm from uh, Columbus, Ohio, actually. So, yeah, you guys talking about the Supreme Court, huh? Yes sir. Well yeah, I guess right now the Republicans by by bringing in uh Neil Gorsuch, they kind of control the Supreme Court basically, right?
1: Actually, uh Bob Don, Don I don't, I don't think we do because Gorsuch's uh decision uh recently went against everything Republicans stand for, right?
5: No, I think that's one of the things that people don't understand about the court and about justices. The justices once appointed are totally independent. And I don't think you can feel that they're going to be Republican or Democrat on the basis of their rulings. And many Supreme Court judges have turned out to be uh, drastically different than the appointing authority ever thought they would be. One of the most oh, famous ones that. is the is the chief justice from California who ruled in the Miranda versus Arizona case that totally upended law enforcement, and he was a former prosecutor. Yeah.
1: True. True. Well, Tim, yeah, I have mean, to I got over one. seven thousand hours.
2: Studying? Oh, here I'm we go. sorry. I didn't I, hear that. All right, this
1: is. No, that's all right, because uh, he's a resident – I just remembered the number. He's a resident troll that calls in every now and then to cause a little trouble. But, hey, you, do, you know you're oh. doing something, air finger quotes, right when you get a troll calling into the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well,
5: you know, that's, that's but that's the funny thing about it, because, you know, in my book, I think you read that. Uh, and I came out and said, I'm just trying to pique your interest gets you interested in this so you'll think about it and you'll decide for yourself and you'll take some action. Uh, That's the hardest thing in the world today, to get people to take any action on anything. They don't think, number one, that, you know, I've had this said many times. My brother-in-law says it all the time. Well, what can I do? I'm just one person. Oh, gee, you know, the other day we had a whole bunch of students marching in the streets all over the United States. I don't think they felt they couldn't do anything because they were just one person.
1: Well, there, there's a lot to say about that because now there's the attack on the Second Amendment by a lot of these groups because of the school shootings. Uh, and people oh. just simply do not understand the second amendment. And you point that out in your book by stating the third amendment ends up supporting the second amendment.
5: Well, and how about the uh, the citation of the other part of the constitution that says the states can't declare war unless they have to in immediate circumstances. Now, what if for example, my state, the state of Washington was being invaded by Um, a Pacific Rim country and the governor of the state decided to call together the National Guard it would be ridiculous if he didn't also say and to all of you citizens out there who are armed please join them so that we can fight off the invaders that's the purpose for it how would we do that if we didn't have any weapons and weren't able to The other point about the Second Amendment that I think is so important and people don't have a clue about this is the purpose of the Second Amendment was to defend you in your state against the federal government, which is why I propose, and some people laugh at this, that we're entitled to be armed with RPGs if necessary. If the Army of the United States decided to take over your state, Anne, what would be done about it?
1: At this point, nothing, because we, the state, well, cede power. Well, the states have already ceded power to the federal government yeah, in many areas. First of, all,
5: they, yeah, the, first of all, they've got too many weapons. In fact, they're responsible for loaning their used weapons to your law enforcement people who might or might not defend you against the federal government. But if your weapons, as individuals, are taken away from you, how would you defend yourself against the United States government? If they decide, if the, there was some uh, rumor, wasn't there, years ago, that some top generals were trying to decide whether or not they wanted to take over the country If that were a realistic proposal, and they decided to do that, what would stop a coup in the United States? Well, what's supposed to stop it is us, the citizens, exercising our rights under the Constitution. People never think of these things. They say, oh, that would never happen here. Well, that's what they said in Germany. uh, You know, you name the places. You know,
1: it's funny because if you ask people anything about the Constitution, many of them have never read it. And I have to be honest, I cut my teeth uh, on the Constitution when I was in high school. Uh, the book was called A Biography of the Constitution by Mitchell and Louise Brodus. So <laughs> And I still have that book on my bookshelf here. Um, but people don't understand because that book is excellent because it tells you what the founding fathers were thinking as they went through the different stages of writing the constitution and many people cannot even tell you the five rights that are in the first amendment and you have these college campuses now with these safe zones where you can how dare you you know say something that may offend me you know you have the right of not from free speech and this is what people don't understand so what you get offended there's nothing in the constitution that says that i I, I can't offend you.
5: No, and uh, it's interesting that when people talk about free speech, because you know, because you've studied that and read about it, that the right to free speech was a right that was really only meant to be exercised against the government. You don't have a free speech right to say whatever you want to about your neighbor. If you did, how would libel and slander be against the law? You'd have a right to free speech. (laughs) Of course you don't. So the right to free speech was only meant to exercise your speech against the government, again, to keep the government in line. The government was supposed to be working for you. And if it didn't, you should be able to say that. And I found it amazing when I was doing the research and put it in the book that even the Supreme Court doesn't appreciate the right to assemble because they've passed a rule saying that you can't assemble on the uh, outside area in front of the Supreme Court building. Well, hogwash. They don't have a right to say that. If you peaceably assemble, you can do that any place you want to under the Constitution, the fact that it's troubling for you to hear words that you don't like to hear or to see things, and the perfect example of that was the protesters who would hold up the uh, pictures of babies who were aborted. People said, oh, I don't want to see that. They should be able to be put over in another place where I can't see the signs. Uh, one member of my family said, I don't want my children to have to see those pictures. And my answer was, why? You don't want to educate them as to what's actually going on in society? That's what we're supposed to do, is talk about things. And by the way, when you talk about the Second Amendment, the right to have arms and the school shootings, which is the top topic today, and the people wanting to limit the right to have firearms or background checks or anything else. My question is, why don't we focus in on the correct problem? The correct problem is, and the question that has to be asked, what are the students doing to each other that's causing this? We've always had guns in the past. We've always had them available. The kids weren't bringing them to school to kill other kids. So what is happening? Is it the bullying by the kids of each other? Is it the way they talk down, the way they treat each other in a dishuman way? That needs to be addressed, not some simple solution which is unconstitutional by saying take away the gun from people. I mean, now we've got, I jokingly said, well, let's see, now we've got to take away the AR-15s. Now we have one with a shotgun. We've had some with knives. And we've had a truck that was rented from Home Depot. I guess we've got to all of those. You know,
1: it, it is funny the way they go after the guns. and They are blaming the NRA. Uh, but there was recently a posting by that kid, Hogue. He put up on Twitter. Um, where the heck is this? Remember a time when there wasn't a school shooting every week? I don't because I wasn't alive, and God bless Chris uh, Peronto. He was uh, one of the ones in the Benghazi attack, and he goes, "I remember it was before your generation started shooting up the schools, David." Even though we still had guns, thank you for confirming again that it's not the gun, it's person, and in particular you and your peers, millennial culture. Uh, this is true because we are now seeing a phenomenon where kids are not interacting. We have a high rate of um, autism, higher than in Europe or any other country, and this has to be explained to attitudes. Because one of the shooters supposedly had autism, but they're bound in their smart devices. They communicate, you know, just in 140 word text, but they don't sit down and face to face and talk to each other. It, they've become inhuman, and they treat each other as if they're not human this is something that is a new phenomenon. So you're asking the right question. What is causing this? Maybe we need to sit down and have family hours once more. You know, sit down and communicate. Remember in the 60s we had, what was it? Um, I'm going to call it a gab fest. Or what the heck did they call it when everyone just sat down and talked? Come on, well, this, this is your well. generation. <laughs> No, uh, it was a big thing in the sixties and seventies where the flower people would sit in a big circle and just chew the fat. Oh, good lord, making my brain well, mark here. Be, <laughs> Come on, Don. Somebody, I,
5: <laughs> you wouldn't do that today because people are too fixed with their opinions and they don't want to hear anybody else's sort or of want to consider it. But you know what's interesting about that? Um, I happen to have a book. In fact, I just pulled it off the shelf. It's called Boys Will Be Boys. It was a book written by Mm -hmm. Miriam Meetsian years ago, and it talked about a Philadelphia experiment in which, you know, and they said boys are violent. And, of course, my take on that is, yeah, well, if you don't understand nature, then you'll never understand that one because we did come from the caves And there was a difference between the male who had to leave the cave, risk his life, and go kill something which might kill him in order to bring food back. And there was a difference between the male and the female in terms of their duties and what they did. So this Boys Will Be Boys followed a group of boys in the lower grades who were taken to daycare centers and taught to deal with babies, small children, hold them, rock them, put them to sleep. And they followed those boys all the way through high school, and they found that they were less violent than the kids who had never gone through those experiences because they learned to care for children. They learned to care for each other. They learned that a human being is something other than just a sexual object or something to be uh, controlled, for example. Now, I don't understand why if that was such a successful project and they learned that from them, it isn't being done in all the schools today. Instead, they waste their time teaching them things uh, that are meaningless or, as you said, providing safe areas for them so that they can close their ears and not hear anything that they don't agree with. It's just become ridiculous. They they are told things, they are spoon fed. Oh, and by the way, talking about the law of unintended consequences, do you think maybe that applies a little bit to the violence they see on TV, the violent games that they play all the time? I mean, of course that doesn't rub off on of them, does it? Of course not.
1: No. We're no, reading No, not at all. all. You know, and I had a to pastor sit down. He came over to the house one day and he said, "Daddy, he goes, I'm trying to, you know, deal with these kids in the youth groups, and they don't know how to approach a person, how to look them directly in the eye, shake their hand, have a conversation, and he's trying to prepare these kids to go out for job interviews. And he goes, they do not know how to have an interpersonal relationship. This is something that is when we saw the family start to fail, and now it's spread to the school system. It's it's spread." so badly that we have a whole generation of kids that are being lost. How are they going to do the things that you are doing or I have done in the past? You know, they've been isolated and protected and, oh, how dare, you know, little Johnny not win the tournament. Everyone should get a trophy. Everyone participated. No, you're playing a game. One side wins, one side loses. They're being so protected. They don't even know how to behave when they're hurt.
5: Well, and the major point that you've just made, which people fail to consider, is if you don't have winners and losers, you never teach anybody how to be a loser. And so then if they lose, they think that's the end of their lives. And they then grab an AR-15, go back to the school that they feel failed them, and start shooting everybody because they're simply objects. You know, that's why I say the law of unintended consequences. It might have been a good idea to think that it would be great to give everybody a trophy because they participated. You can clap for them because they participated, but the ones that won should be valued more as a winner of that particular contest than the ones who lost. And the ones who lost should be taught to go up to the winners and say, Great race. I'll beat you next time. That's what I learned in sports.
4: Well,
1: they take away the ability for them to strive to be better. Instead, you lost. That's it. It's over. No, strive to be better. If someone turns around and said something to you that was hurtful, figure out how to deal with that pain and strive to be better. This is something that our society is starting to lose. And I want to thank VORP. VORP told me what I was trying to remember. It was called rap sessions in the 60s and 70s, if you remember those. It was a big thing. Everyone's going to have a rap session. Oh, wow. But, you know, as I
5: said. Yeah, a rap session.
1: (laughs) But, you know, how to nurture. uh, And if someone were to hurt you, figure out how to Win that person over to your side, too. you know try to exchange ideas. There's not just one side to an argument; there's multiple facets. But your book is fascinating. I'm mean, looking at the clock we're down to our last six and a half minutes. Gee, has this day flown past. um It's an excellent book. I'm recommending people to pick it up uh and read it and I didn't think it was too in depth. I think it was just right but it Means that someone has to actually sit down and read it. It's not a long book. It's not like five hundred pages or something. What is it? Something like one hundred forty? Yeah, one hundred eighty. Yeah, a little over. So. A, yeah, yeah. yeah that. Yeah. Oh, all right. If you include the glossary, go a little over one hundred sixty pages. Okay, <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah, so it's not a long 150
5: book pages of right? Well, and actually, but I'm, I'm going to tell them what you just said about not stopping, you know, and, and wanting to get better and striving, because that's exactly what you and I both are doing. You know, i uh, it's funny, this book started off with a bang first, I think, because, you know, people in Spokane knew me largely because of the Co case and picked up uh, books. But now, you know, the books have fallen off and not doing as well. And But do you think I'm going to stop? No, that's not my nature. <laughs> My nature is to try and convince people of what it is that I want them to learn, and I'm going to keep going. Uh, you probably wonder the same thing with people calling into your show. And Are you going to stop? No, because you believe in what you're doing. And if more people would do that, we would change things. They can't just sit back and say, oh, well, that's great. I'm glad they're doing that. But I, I could never do that because that won't work.
1: It's not in my nature to back down, as my listeners know, and uh, good Lord, I've been doing this show now eight and a half years. Eight years? Yeah, well, wow. Been a while, wow. and every time it gets a little bit better, but uh, I want to thank you, Don, for joining us today. We've had an absolute blast, and I'm going to re- recommend this book to people to pick up, The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, and we've got to start to learn how to Take our country back to what our founding fathers intended it to be Less federal involvement and more personal uh, freedom and liberty And I want to thank you for writing it And I look forward to the next one
5: All right I, uh, Yeah, the next book, by the way, I'm thinking of a title uh, Because I did practice criminal law predominantly And the title that I'm suggesting for it is uh, the court's interference in your right to be safe by its criminal justice rulings.
1: Wow. And as we called it in my police precinct, the revolving door, because by the time you brought them down to central booking, you got back to your command and got dressed to go home. They were already back out on the street. Boy, do I know that one firsthand. (laughs) (laughs) But Don, thank you so much. And thank you for the hard work you do. God bless.
5: Thanks very much.
1: Bye-bye. All right, Curtis, that was the whole show for today. This whole show just went so, so fast, and I had so much fun doing it. And thank you for bringing Virginia onto the show. We definitely want to bring her back, Curtis.
2: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Well,
1: that's it. That's all we got for
4: I'm
2: not sure if you guys can hear me, but it seems as though we lost Andy. But anyway, we'll see you on Tuesday. You guys take care. Have a great weekend.